LinkedIn presents. The decision fatigue is is like a very real thing because you're just constantly having to make these decisions that sometimes have like really lasting impacts well beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we if, if we have to cut a show from our ad sales roster or if we have to make a change with an employee at work or we have to think through like a growth strategy for, you know, a show or something like these are real people who are doing something that in some cases like is much more than a hobby. And you have to like really think through that. But at the same time, like our mandate as business owners is to make decisions that are best for the business. Um, and there's sometimes a lack of humanity there. And like, no matter how much we try to course correct for that, like it's just not ever gonna be possible to do it 100% correctly. And that those decisions for me personally, like have a lot of weight to them. And I, I do always feel like I've put in enough time and energy to like, think through the problem in the ways that I think are best for everybody. But I don't always feel that like, you know, six months, a year later or whatever, like I make the best decision. And that's the stuff that really like gets to me. And then on that same note, in terms of my personal life uh, with that decision fatigue, it, it works on both sides. Cause on the one hand, it's like, there's just so many things that I like close my laptop. I don't want to do. Uh, <laughs> and, and like, I, I kind of find a lot of comfort in like, you know, cleaning the house or gardening or whatever, because like, you don't really have to think that hard about it. Yes. <laughs> um, which is my favorite, but also like sometimes I'll feel like I treat friends or my partner or something like, like an employee and just being like, Hey, did you do X, Y, and Z? Like, can we <laughs> set a deliverable plan for that? And, and I'm just like, this is so bad. I cannot do this. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey, creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media agency DCP, as well as the video and podcast recording space, Podstream Studios, Times Square. This is actually going to be the final episode of season two here for Entrepreneur Struggle. And as you've heard a lot throughout these conversations, sometimes we have to reprioritize the things that we're working on to get our companies to the next stage of where we want them to be. This, for me, is definitely one of those times, as there are some really big things on the horizon for both DCP and Podstream, and I really can't wait to tell you more about what we have coming. But I'm not actually allowed to spill any of that information just yet. So as we close out our final episode, I love that I got to sit down with Jeff Umbro, founder of The Podglomerate, a media company like mine that has done some incredible work in the podcasting space and who has had to make some pivots with his business model along the way. As we talked, I realized we have so much more in common than I'd realized. As we discussed what it's like growing your business to the point where you're doing administrative work, but not necessarily the things that you love. Managing decision fatigue, and why he prioritizes weeks of training for new staff members. But we began the conversation with why he started Podglomerate, because honestly, it's not the answer I was expecting. I don't know if this is like a normal journey or if this is just mine, but I actually started Podglomerate because I couldn't get a job in podcasting. Um, <laughs> so I I was a book publicist before. I worked at a company called Goldberg McDuffie Communications, and it was kind of cool because it's like an independent boutique PR firm that focuses on uh, working with like really large authors and really tiny ones, but being that extra muscle that you can bring in if you need it. And we worked with all of the different publishers. So, um, you know, all the big five at that point, it was the big six plus all the little guys. And 
we got to really see like what each company was doing well and what they weren't doing well. And it was really interesting from my point of view. It was my first like real job out of college and I had no idea what I was doing. And, you know, that was a really great workplace because my boss at the time would just encourage me like, Hey Jeff, if you think that this is worth trying, let's try it. Um, let's get your work done. But also like you have agency to do whatever you want with X, Y, and Z. And, um, I was there for six years and, uh, and I learned a lot and this was kind of at the, the point where people were moving a little bit more online and moving a little bit further away from like legacy institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, like an author would be stoked to get like a, a Q and a on the New York times as on their website, as opposed to like in the paper. And nowadays, like, you know, the online part is everything, yeah. uh, but but like 10 years ago, that was still kind of a novel thing. But I, I was at that job for uh, just shy of seven years and I loved it and I learned a ton. But towards the end, I was kind of complacent. I didn't really have to try that hard to get my job done. Uh, it was a small company, so there wasn't really a ton of like space to grow. And I just felt like I needed my next thing. In that same window of time, back in like 2014, I had started a podcast called Writers Who Don't Write. Where I would talk to authors about you know the their careers and one story that they could never tell, and it was super fun. I got to do this all day, um, <laughs> but I was I was spending most of my time just producing that show as opposed to actually working. And I got to a point where I'm just like, uh, and it was great for the business because I would bring in like new authors and they would sign contracts with GMC and everybody nice. was happy. But like it got to the point where I just needed to try something new and. Um, I went off and I, I did a bunch of freelance contract work for a bunch of different organizations. And, you know, I tried to get a job in podcasting because I, that was the thing that I had been doing that I loved so much. And I don't know if this was just like what I was applying for, or if this was like a particular point in time, but the only jobs that I could really uh, like find that were hiring were for producers and editors. And, um, and to be blunt, like, those are my weak points. Like that's what I'm lousiest at. So like, I just didn't have a shot because I was not the most qualified and, and they were all super nice, you know, saying like, Hey, learn X, Y, and Z and come back. But I was, I didn't want to wait. I didn't have a lot of patience. So I just went out and started the podglomerate. And then the, the other side of that story is, sorry, the other side of that story is that writers don't write was getting, you know, a few thousand downloads an episode. And I would have a lot of these agencies come to me asking if they could like sell ads on our show because they loved the content or the show or who we were talking to or, you know, whatever. But then they would see our download numbers and they would say like, okay, this isn't large enough. We can't do anything with that. And, you know, me who knows nothing about the industry at that point is like, well, I'll show you guys. So <laughs> the, the initial idea with Poglomerate was basically like an early version of AdvertiseCast. Like let's bundle a bunch of shows together sell ads and then uh we'll be able to like package them together to make a greater whole and i very quickly realized that we didn't have the tech stack the resources or anything to like do that really well and effectively like we were just basically sitting in spreadsheets all day trying to make something work um so we do still offer ad sales uh, according to that same model like let's bundle a bunch of shows together but mm -hmm. we do it in a very very different way than we did back then um but anyway, that's a very long-winded way of saying back in back in 2017, I decided to pull the trigger and start the podglomerate so that I could try and do this stuff that I loved every day. And um, you know, fast forward to today, and 
We have nine full-time employees. We uh, represent at any given moment, 70 to 80 shows, if wow. you're including the ad sales side. Uh, and, um, you know, about 30 million monthly downloads. Uh, we have been profitable since 2018. Um, I could I could keep going, but it's been a really really cool experience, and I'm glad that I took that leap of faith. But um, you know, the first couple of years was it was tough. So, well, congratulations! Like especially coming out of like the rejection early on of like I can't even get my show to get monetized to then the point of being able to monetize so many other shows and like we'll definitely get into what it's like managing that many properties. Cause even when you said 30, I was like, that's a lot to manage at any given time. Yeah. Then you step that up to 70. Uh, well, you know, that's really and the reason. Yeah, thank you. And, and the reason that I went from 30 to 70 is because we have like three different business lines. So, you know, production, distribution, and ad sales. And uh, we represent 70 shows on the ad sales side just on its own. Um, we represent at any given moment about 20 shows on the audience growth side. And then we're currently producing, I think, uh, eight shows. Um, so uh, in one form or another. So it gets a little squishy to say like how many shows we're actually working on at any given moment because there's a very different scope of work for each of those shows. Yeah, and we're similar. We're just not at the, the scale that you're at yet. But it's like we have the work for hire side. We have the original side. We, we have just dipped into just being a sales marketing distribution company as well uh, for some mm -hmm. shows. So it's like that that makes things a little bit easier, at least on that end, because you don't necessarily have to put in the same amount of resources just to sell and market. But there's still a lot of resources and time oh, and strategy yeah. that goes into that. Yeah, and it's like the kind of like a hamster wheel because like you you get a little bit further you make that next big sale and then you realize like oh i need like more of like an admin infrastructure to actually make this like work um and then you know you get to the point where you're like i have to hire someone to run that system uh and then we have to make improvements to make this system applicable to like you know the the girl after the guy who's running the system um and you know it, it becomes this little spiral effect and uh and once you get it, like there's no better feeling, but it, it can be really stressful to like get to that point. Oh yeah, and you know, you mentioned you have nine full-time employees now. But when you first started, you know, how did you decide who those first hires were going to be? And, and I also found it interesting, just even looking at your current organization chart. There's a lot of people from the marketing, you know, on the marketing side of things, and obviously that's your background. And uh, mm -hmm. it's just all a funny parallel because a lot of people on our team came from the content background, which is where I came from. So it's like we both kind of leaned into what our personal strengths were. How did you figure out, yeah, who those first hires needed to be for yourself? Sure. So our our first hire was uh, actually an operations guy. A man named Dan Christo, who I uh, actually met in a bowling league in New York. Um, <laughs> but I'm also laughing uh, because a lot of my friends come from like kickball leagues and just like weird, yep. you know, leagues here in New York City. Yeah. And it really is like the networking is king. And, and that's part of why we pursued marketing. But um, I'll get to that part in a second. But Dan has a background in business operations and really like he understands what needs to happen on the under the hood side. Like, how do you staff? Like, what do you have to consider when you're thinking about growth? Like, what do you need, like, in your reserves? What does a PL look like? And all these things that, like, I know about and am, am good at, but like, not great at because I do come from that marketing background. So I was kind of learning these things as they came along. And there's a million resources out there to help you do it. And I was really lucky, you know, like, I had a lot of people help me along the way. But Dan was the one who came in and, like, really turned 
like this independent operation because I was an independent operator for about four years before I, I turned this into like a, a full company. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan came in and really helped to build that structure. And like to this day, like literally this afternoon, he and I have like a conversation where we're working through like one little piece of like the machine and it's a never ending uh, discussion to figure out like how to operationalize what you're doing. And there's always things that you can do to make it better or to improve this little piece or you know, maybe there's something that you want to just stop doing in the future uh, mm-hmm. for a million different reasons. But um, so Dan was really the first hire. And, and uh, then we moved to the marketing side because uh, to be blunt, like that was the end of the business that we're seeing the most demand. We basically are like an in-house like digital agency for audience growth. So I basically took that model from what we were doing for book publishers and turned it to podcast publishers. So if you need to grow your show uh, through PR, marketing, cross promos, um, merchandising in the podcast apps, paid acquisition, uh, like we will build a plan for how to do that. And there is a lot of like art and science that goes into that. So we've been growing that team for about three years now. Uh, we actually started by hiring two full-time marketing uh, managers. And then simultaneously, we hired our first full-time editor. Um, we had been working a lot with contractors before that. But in terms of like full-time W-2 employees, like we hired all three of them simultaneously and like really took a leap of faith. Um, like we knew the business was there, but like we hadn't run it as a business prior to that. We'd mm-hmm. run it as like a consultancy. So uh, it worked out really well. And those teams have continued to expand. And so we're very marketing heavy because that is, you know, our primary business line, but we have uh, three or two full-time, you know, producer editors on the production front, and then a small army of contractors. I say three, because I kind of count myself there these days. Mm-hmm. I finally made that jump. Um, and, uh, and then we have an external sales team for our ad sales but we also have them like work with a few folks internally in terms of actually like running the admin, trafficking, sending invoices, that kind of thing. I know you were saying like there was demand on the marketing side, but like especially when you first, first started out trying to bring people onto the network, was it difficult to kind of selling the marketing piece a little bit, especially, you know, seeing as like your personal show wasn't doing super big downloads. So like, you know, yeah. what numbers were you leaning on to try to get in that early business? Well, it's so funny that you say that because uh, back in like 2014, there was a, it was a very different landscape. So for example, IAB compliance was just becoming a thing with some of the bigger hosting platforms. You know, I remember at one point I was hosting on SoundCloud and I was told from SoundCloud that I had like 20,000 downloads an episode and I was so excited. And then you know, I moved over at that point, I think to Libsyn and like my downloads got cut in half. <laughs> so... Like, you know, you couldn't even like trust the data back then. But but at the same time, like I had come from this PR background. So I was really good at getting my show mentioned on like, you know, top 10 book podcasts or, you know, uh, this author says X, Y, and Z on this podcast. And so I had this kind of like appeal as a show that was getting a lot of attention, maybe not necessarily downloads because it was such a niche show. But I had a lot of experience and, you know, I I don't want to minimize like the effect of the previous job because I was working with some very big names at that organization. Ben Horowitz, Eric Schmidt, Ariana Huffington. um, And then on the fiction side, like a lot of folks as well. 
it's kind of funny. Like I say, I didn't really have a business background, but uh, in a way, I was literally being paid to just read business books at my last job. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but ultimately, like when I first went out to start the Poglomerate back in like 2016, as I was planning this, I was taking this class at Union Docs and it put me in a room basically with 20 or 30 podcasters. I believe Nick Kwa came to speak at this. This would have been 2017. Yeah, it was January 2017. Um, Nick Kwa came to speak, Shruti Pinamanani from Reply All came to speak, and a few other folks. And I remember just sitting there like in awe of what I was hearing. And that gave me like a little extra boost to like put in a little more effort and energy into what I was doing. But um, I remember afterwards, I actually like sent out a note to a Slack channel. Uh, it was both the Union Docs course Slack channel and I think Gimlet had like a membership Slack mm. back then. And I basically said like, hey guys, I'm doing this thing. I'm gonna bundle a bunch of shows together, try and sell ads, like who is interested? And I got six shows to start um, wow. that were like on board. I I don't know that I did them justice back then, <laughs> but you know, we were all just trying our best. And I had to start um, somewhere. Exactly. I, I still remember like the first ad that I ever sold, I got like a $300 check in the mail and I was so excited. Um, and <laughs> uh, you know, it was a really, really amazing feeling, but, um, but yeah, it was bringing people in back then was very different than today. Cause like today you really need to show folks like what you're capable of, show them 10 times that you've already done it in like, you know, hit their timing, their price point and everything else. But, but at the same time, it was a pretty easy sell because I wasn't asking anybody for anything. I was just saying like, Hey, let me try and do this. And then like two or three years later, when I shifted to like, a for hire marketing organization. That was when uh, it was a little bit more difficult. Um, I, I had a friend back then who had been telling me for years that I should do that because he was sure that there was a market for it. And I just didn't want to because I just quit a job that I had spent seven years doing that. Um, but it was a question that just kept on coming up over and over again. And like, you know, we had a couple contracts back then, but like I was, I wasn't doing very well financially. So I'm just like, you know what? It can't hurt. Uh, so I remember we we brought in a couple contracts, charged a few thousand dollars for them, um, and like we delivered and we got a renewal. And then somebody else came to us through word of mouth, and then it just kept on growing. And you know, I think in 2018, 2017, we maybe had like three marketing contracts the entire year. Uh, we now are getting you know two or three, sometimes a week uh, <laughs> these days. So. Like it, it really goes to show you that like if you notice a market for something, you should try and pursue it. But yeah, I, sorry, I'm rambling. I could keep going all day on that. <laughs> no, you're fine. And actually, you know, you brought up something interesting that I want to get to, which is, you know, as you're going throughout your business and you guys have been around since, you know, 2016 in terms of like, you know, fully bringing in uh, uh, more of a staff and everything like that. Mm -hmm. You've had to make pivots along the way. And with those pivots, obviously there's challenges, there's there's things that obviously are successful, but like what were some of those either challenges that led to the pivots or the challenges that came from trying to make those pivots? So there was a couple, I would say like, you know, critical points over the years. Um, one of them was what I just mentioned, like, you know, my my friend had been telling me for years that I should turn this into more of like a marketing agency and I didn't want to. And then when I finally did it, uh, that was really the turning point that allowed this business to have like consistent cash flow to like do the things that I did want to do. 
Um, so that was one. Uh, another was back in um, 2017, might've been 2018. Uh, I had a guy who was working for me who, who was actually, this is a fun story. He, it's come full circle. He actually now works for us again. Uh, his name is Chris Boniello. Um, but he and I had been friends, you know, back in school. And uh, I called him up when I was starting the podglomerate and asked him if he wanted to run our production arm. One of the most creative people I've ever met. Um, and uh, he said yes. And he came on board. And we knew enough to like get the job done, but not enough to really like run like a quality business and charge people what we needed to. So we were charging, you know, a few thousand dollars to like produce a show that we should have been charging like 20 or $30,000 to produce <laughs> or, or, you know, arbitrary numbers, but you get the idea. We did, um, we did the same thing early on too. It, it, yeah. like we all, we all either undervalue or just don't know the marketplace. Uh, it, it was definitely both of those things happening at the same time. The issue was that Chris is a perfectionist and uh, was like, you know, oftentimes up until after midnight, like finishing an episode or an edit or something. And he was also running like his own like freelance organization on the side because he wasn't really getting a lot of money from what we were doing. And um, so we, which, you know, we had talked about and he knew all about back in the day. And uh, so at some point Nike came to him and said like, Hey, we're going to give you boatloads of money. We want you to like run this project that we're working on. Uh, it was a video project. That was his background. And he said like, okay, Jeff, I'm sorry. I got to go do this. And so he actually left and he was gone for three or four years and eventually came back and is now running that department again and is doing an amazing job. And like, you know, I think conditions are way better than they were back then. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was a moment where I had to really sit down and, and think about like the direction that we we're going to take the company because I, I don't really think that I could have afforded to bring on like another Chris. And, you know, we had a number of, I guess heavier narrative driven shows that we were working on back then. The one that comes to mind is the show called the wave with Matt Fuller. And it was in the, I think the 2018 midterm elections, we did like a four part series on like three key issues in that election and uh, why they really mattered and in what we should pay attention to. And Matt Fuller is the Washington bureau chief at the daily beast at the time he was at the Huffington post. So he's very connected. And so we were getting interviews with everybody you know, Nancy Pelosi's secretary of staff, like Mark Kelly. And there was a lot of really like interesting things that we were doing with the show, but we were literally, you know, like working on that thing until like 4am the day before we published them. And, um, it was driving us all crazy. And, and that's frankly, like one of the reasons that Chris had to make it the decision that he did. And we, uh, ultimately after that happened said like, you know, until we really build up this department, we need to take a step back and rethink the kinds of productions that we're going to make. And, and so for a couple of years after that, we really focused on like talking head shows and, um, and that was really, really um, like good decision at the time because it allowed us to like build up infrastructure and procedure, put out a lot of content. Like, you know, I, I stand by all of it. I think it was all really great. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, these big narrative deep dives that you might hear on this American life or something. And that was a, a little bit of a, a moment where you had to stop and think like, do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. and, and the answer is yes, a hundred percent. And I would do it again, 10 out of 10 times. But, uh, like at the time I remember that being like a big moment where I had to like sit there and like, 
figure out what I wanted to do. So. Yeah, because financially, those those uh, limited series, those narrative projects, they take a lot of resources, they take a lot of money, um, they take a lot of time. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, they may be passion projects. They may be things that really make an impact in the world in the way you want to, but you still have to run a business <laughs> that yeah. needs to make money and needs to be consistent. So like, we've oh, kind of made similar. Yeah, we've definitely you know seen similar things with just how we've had to approach um, you know our projects and just seeing like that growth that you had from that moment. Obviously, again, we'll get back to the fact that you've had you know between thirty to seventy shows, depending on how you're, you're looking at it. As you've brought on a lot more of these shows. What does that do for you? Like, I know for me, a lot of times, like the more we grow as a company, the less I get to do the things that I necessarily love. The more I now have yeah. to do more of the business and administrative stuff that don't get me wrong. I enjoy to some degree, but like my real passion is content creation. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have the time to really do that anymore for you. Kind of what things did you kind of or maybe are still kind of losing touch with yeah. that you really want to be doing? Yeah. So it's so funny. Nobody tells you this when you go out and like start your company. It's like the more successful you are, the more you have to deal with like the administrative burden of that. Um, and it like, it is shocking to me how many things like will just pop up out of the blue that like I never considered in a million years. <laughs> so like you have, you have the normal stuff like, you know, staffing, HR, bookkeeping, um, like software, uh, cash flow, like all the things that you do that are just table stakes in running a business. And there's different ways to do that. And like, you know, you can have wins or losses or whatever. But um, then there's a million things like we we got selected to fill out quarterly census reports. Uh, and like we have to do that every quarter, no matter what. We called them and we're like, how long do we have to do this? And they said seven years. Wow. Uh, it, yeah. I'm glad we have and not qualified it, yet. <laughs> well, it, I, I mean, I hope I'm not jinxing you on this. But uh, and it's so silly because it's like it's not the end of the world. It's not like really that difficult, but every time you do it, you want to do it right because of like who you're reporting it to. And so like every time it's like a three hour job to get that done. And, uh, you know, that's just one very silly example of like the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, but it's like, you have to produce shows, you have to run your marketing campaigns, you have to sell ads, you have to work about like, think about your company's branding in like, some of that stuff, like, and yes, you can delegate this out to other folks, but like some of that stuff, like you just don't really consider and it takes up so much of your time. So over the last few years, as we've really hired, because all of our hiring has happened since 2021. And it's been really amazing in a lot of ways, because like we're able to work with bigger and better clients than ever, work with more of them than ever. Uh, and like, I think the quality of work that we're doing is better than ever uh, by a long shot. Um, but at the same time, it's like the stuff that I spent five years doing alone in my living room in like, you know, the the stuff that I, I almost feel like I'm in a relationship with this company. I'm sure you feel the same oh, way. Yes, I definitely feel like it's a relationship. <laughs> it's like a lot of those pieces that are kind of core to the business, like I'm now not doing day to day. And it takes a lot to really like, get over that threshold and see the benefit of that. Um, and to this day, like I'm still bugging a bunch of people on my team, you know, once a week or something saying like, Hey, did we do X, Y, and Z? And they're like, yes, Jeff, we've done it. And <laughs> uh, it's, you know, like, frankly, everyone on the team is doing better work than I ever did. And it's so amazing to see. And like, it, it really impresses me all like every day, but it, it really takes you out of what you're used to. And 
it's not even necessarily a bad thing because I've been able to build muscles elsewhere that like I didn't know I needed mm -hmm. or didn't know existed. And I think that the business is better because of it, but it really takes a lot of getting used to, to get comfortable with those changes. Yeah. I've definitely had that same experience. And you even talking about some of those, those things remind me too, of just like some of the decision fatigue I get, like just all the different things that you were mentioning. It's like, these are decisions that you have to make. And so sometimes in my personal life, I'm just like burned out and I can't make yeah. decisions because I've just made so many at work or even just on the work side. I've even recently, somebody hit me up to let me know that, Hey, this is what's happening with the project. I wanted to keep you up to date, but they didn't tell me what the solution was. So it felt like they were asking me to give them a solution. I just had to say, please tell me how you're figuring it out. Cause I just, I yeah. don't have the brain space for this now. Do you find the same thing for yourself all the time and it's so funny because it's uh i'm like turning this into a therapy session but um, <laughs> that's what this is that's what this is <laughs> and i love this it. entrepreneurial this, therapy session this is such a great idea for a show but um yeah it's it on both sides uh so yes like i i get decision fatigue i love that term all the time because sometimes i i, I do strongly believe that sometimes you just need to step away from a problem to solve that problem but uh, what that sometimes means is that I'm like kind of ignoring it for a day or two so I can come back to it with a clear head. Yep. And uh, like that is something that I feel guilty about every once in a while. So the decision fatigue is, is like a very real thing because you're just constantly having to make these decisions that sometimes have like really lasting impacts well beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, if, if we have to cut a show from our ad sales roster, or if we have to make a change with an employee at work, or we have to think through like a growth strategy for, you know, a show or something like these are real people who are doing something that in some cases, like is much more than a hobby. And you have to like really think through that and like, but at the same time, like our mandate as business owners is to make decisions that are best for the business. Um, and there's sometimes a lack of humanity there and like, no matter how much we try to course correct for that, like, it's just not ever going to be possible to do it hundred percent correctly. And that those decisions for me personally, like have a lot of weight to them. And I, I do always feel like I've put in enough time and energy to like think through the problem in the ways that I think are best for everybody. But I don't always feel that like, you know, six months, a year later or whatever, like I make the best decision. And that's the stuff that really like gets to me. And then on that same note, in terms of my personal life uh, with that decision fatigue, um, it, it works on both sides. Because on the one hand, it's like there's just so many things that I like close my laptop. I don't want to do. Uh, <laughs> and, and like I, I kind of find a lot of comfort in like, you know, cleaning the house or gardening or whatever, because like you don't really have to think that hard about it. Yes. <laughs> um, which is my favorite. But also like sometimes I'll feel like I treat friends or my partner or something like like an employee and just being like, hey, did you do X, Y and Z? Like can we <laughs> set a deliverable plan for that. And, and I'm just like, this is so bad. I cannot do this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we struggle with a lot of the same things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It's like I, one day it's really going to like, you know, come back and bite me because it's like I, I really need to figure out like a better way to structure like my day outside of the office, because, uh, you know, I feel like any entrepreneur is, is to, is like that to an extent, but like, um, I've learned over the years, like you need to prioritize the non-office stuff, like yeah. full stop. So yeah. 
it helps you not be burned out. It helps you to, you know, obviously we're also doing these things to create a life for ourselves. And if we're not yeah. enjoying that life, what is this all for too? So yeah, it's, exactly. that, it's that weird balancing act that you have to do. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about the challenges, but I, I clearly want to talk about some of the great things going on. And I think we touched on a few of them just in terms of how much you've grown. But yeah, what are some of the wins for you go, going on right now? Yeah. Let me just pull up my notes. I want to make sure I get this one. Uh, oh, nice. Like it's that many. That's what I like to hear. I love it. Um, well, so it, there, there are a lot of like really exciting things happening. Like in the same note that I was just saying, like uh, with feeling a little bit like dislocated every once in a while when it comes to like delegating a lot of the tasks that I've been doing for years. Uh, like it is super cool to see just how impactful uh it's it's very cool to see like how effective the staff is when it comes to executing this stuff, how much growth I've seen across it from everybody. Cause like we really built this entire system. Like uh when we hire someone, we have to figure out like what's important to train them on, what can we kind of teach them on the job. Like uh, I remember our first contract hire. This wasn't like a full timer, but I kind of just said, like, hey, here's the assignment. Uh can you send it to me next week? And it was wrong. And like I got it back. It was it was not very well done. And I'm just like, Oh, this, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, let's try it again. And it really took me a little bit. This is so silly to say in hindsight, but it took me a little bit to like realize it is my job to train this person on doing this the, the way that like it needs to be done. And the way and that you want it done. A hundred percent. And if it's not done right, then it's my failure, not theirs. And to an extent, like there is a limit. Uh, but, but yeah, I think, it took me a while to like figure that out. And now that is our priority. And uh, if, if you become an employee at Pogmarmorant, like you probably aren't going to touch a project until you finish like six weeks of training. Um, nice. And yeah. And like, we have a whole spreadsheet of like everything they should be doing. And we have, you know, documents and videos explaining it in one-on-one meetings with people. And, um, and we'll put you in meetings to observe before you actually contribute. And, um, and that's different for the employee. Like, you know, obviously that's not always the case if you bring someone in at a higher level, but, um, but like we really have figured out a system to prioritize that more than anything. And, uh, and we have systems for everything now, which is so silly to say. And like a small part of me dies inside when I say that. Um, but <laughs> it is, it is so important in order to like not only run the business well, but to make sure that everybody is like, they feel that they've been given good quality direction. They're happy with their job. They're not going to be overworked and they're actually like staying at the capacity we want them to be. You do that through building good systems and not through like hoping for the best. And so I'm really proud of, of what we've achieved in the last three years because I think that like we are a better company and, and our employees are happier because of it. So the staff has been incredible and it's super cool to see the growth over there and like everything that they've done. and. Um, everything they continue to do. And there are things that are happening today that I'm not even aware of that are super impressive, which is a crazy thing to think about. Uh, That's a great place to be though, where you don't have to be overseeing everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. And it's, it has been like a really amazing experience. And like, uh, that is the silver lining of what I was talking about before, where it's like, sometimes I feel like dislocated a little bit, but the clients that we're booking now are just Every single one of them are somebody or are, is someone that like five years ago, I would have been like completely floored to have signed. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, it's it's super cool. Like we're working with 
you know, PBS, Freakonomics Radio, NPR, uh, Harvard Business School, Stanford. But yeah, I know it's so fun to see. Like, um, I think we've had three shows in the last couple of years that we've represented that have been on like the best of the year list from from Vulture, which you know, I know is uh, is just one of the list, but it's the one I like to see. So it's just very cool to see like how much the company has grown. And it's not rare for us to get emails or calls from people that, you know, even just a couple of years ago, like were people that I really, really, you know, idolized and, and still do. Even this conversation, Chris, like I've been seeing you at, at conferences and stuff for years. And uh, like, I'm honored to be able to talk to you about this stuff. It is so cool. And it's just shows like the growth of the company over the years. Thank you for saying that. That also means a lot to me as well. Um, no, I appreciate it. And yeah. honestly, like what you guys have built and the trajectory you guys have been on has just been incredible to watch from the outside looking in. And, you know, we were talking before this that I've met like half of your staff at this point. So we're finally meeting for the first time here. But, yeah. you know, you, this this conversation has been exactly what I thought and hoped it would be. Like, I think you've been really intentional about what you've created here and how you built your team, just like you were just talking about. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and actually, that's another thing that I'm really proud of because... This is a silly story to tell, but uh, we we have HR consultants that we work with. Um, and when we first uh, we were looking at our first hire, we wanted to build the handbook, and we called up this company, and uh, they're like, they have a, a laundry list of questions this long that are like, what would you do if X, Y, and Z happened? How do you want to run this or that or whatever? And we got an hour and a half into the conversation, and and I just said, hey why don't you just like take the best answers that you've gotten from anyone, uh, send those to us and we'll review them from there. And so now like we have a workplace that I think is, is really great. It's fully remote. Uh, we have competitive salaries, unlimited PTO. Everyone at the company has equity. We pay hundred percent of healthcare benefits. There's a retirement plan. Um, and it took us like three years to get to that point. And like, we're still working on that every day. And, and we prioritize that we have volunteer days and I, I don't mean this to be like a brag session, but um, you mentioned intentional, you know, working and we really like prioritize that stuff over anything. And and it's funny because um, like over the years, we've had the instances where we're just like, it would be easier if we just change these policies. And, and we're like intentionally not because, you know, I feel that it's really important that people have the opportunity to do whatever they want. And these are little pieces that help them to do that. And, you know, we're a new company, but uh, like we've never had to let anyone go. We've only had, ever had one person leave. And that's because he got an offer that was just like too good to refuse. And it's just been very cool to see. And I think that it's really rewarding. And, and you know, we've talked about struggles all day, but uh, I think that like these are the things that make that struggle worth it. And then on the flip side, like we've also just finally started to execute on a lot of the visions that we've had for a few years now. Um, so we just launched our first like truly owned and operated original production back in August. And, you know, it had a bunch of critical acclaim. It had a, a two page review in like the print magazine for New York magazine, which was super cool to see. Um, we won a few awards. We got a bunch of downloads, sold some ads, um, a lot of social chatter about it. Like we're launching the second season in a few weeks in October, actually. Um, it's called Missing Pages, if anybody's interested. It's kind of like a literary true crime. We are launching a show. By the time this comes out, I think it'll be live, but it's called Podcast Perspectives. And we're doing video and audio, and it'll just be like industry conversations. We are in the process of redoing our website. Uh, 
we're doing our first team retreat in a few weeks. We're going to go out to Philly, oh, bring everybody. Yeah. It's like, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening and, um, you know, it's always a struggle to run a business, but like, it's very cool to be able to point to the wins. So. Well, congratulations. I, you know, especially as you were talking about your company structure, I'm like, can I, can I leave my company and come work for you? <laughs> I, just, I love how you guys have set things up there. We, you know, we'd love to be able to do all those same things. We just got to graduate a little bit further to get to that point. But I think it's really incredible. And that's what helps to retain great talent. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and I will say like, uh, in a lot of cases, like those are literally the hardest things that we've had to do. I I'll just say like, you know, it's spending time talking to lawyers and accountants and everything about the little like tiny details that oh. 99% of the time you're never going to have to actually like think about. Um, like that is, is it, it, it's, it's on par with like filling out the census reports. Yes. So. <laughs> I know the feeling, but it helps you sleep at night. So that you got to do yeah. it. Thank you, Jeff Umbro, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. You can learn more about Jeff's work by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything Entrepreneur Struggle, even as we close out this season. Keep following us as we may bring the show back at some point, or we may even drop some shows here into this feed that you'll love. Thank you, as always, to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike DuBose. Thank you for the support this season from the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. We really learned a lot and made some incredible connections through their program. Until next season, or even if there isn't one, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Mm -hmm.